Chamber of Commerce there. And uh, we were doing a midweek service. Our midweek services were on Tuesday back then, and this couple came, <clears throat> and I began to talk with them. I said, where are you from? You're obviously visiting. I've never seen you before. And they said, oh, we're just up. We're on retreat. We're seeking God. I said, well, where are you from? We're down the L.A. area. And, well, what do you do? And said, we're writers for CBS. And um, that's all we do all the time, just write for all kinds of things for CBS. But we feel like the Lord's moving us out maybe into a ministry situation. So we came to Big Bear to get away from everything and to just close in and hear from heaven. Now, if you haven't heard that before, you need to hear that today, that that's a lot about what God's calling is on our community. Because that's why we're called a lighthouse on the mountain. Oftentimes people, you know, sail their little boats in close to us, looking for direction. The lights are on. They get direction, then they go back. Renewed vision, renewed health. Hope, renewed instruction, all those things, some new bearings for their life. So as I continue to talk, I said, well, what, uh, <clears throat> what do you think God's leading you into? And they said, well, maybe music. Kind of pretty sure about that, but we're just waiting on him. In fact, we've got a song if you'd want. We could sing it tonight. I said, really? Uh, I was not the senior pastor at the time. I'm just the worship guy, okay? And so I took my liberty. I said, well, why don't you do that? We take a little break for offering, and you guys could come, and I'll introduce you, and and uh, what was your name again so I can say it right? And, and so here comes the offering. And they come to the piano, and I mean, they shred the keys. Oh, my gosh. Just from one end to the other, and they're singing, and they just, they're like 10 years ahead of schedule on the music scene. Right? And I'm going, whoa, that's hot, you know? And the church is hair blown back, and, you know, who are these people? And the guy that's teaching me to lead worship ponies up next to me after the services, you know, they're pretty good, but they're really going to have to change their style if they're going to go anywhere. Okay? Now, fast forward. The next time I see this man, he's standing on the stage at the Grammys. He's standing right behind Christopher Cross, who's receiving a Grammy for the, for the song Sailing. Sailing, take me away to where I'm... He wrote it. And his wife's name is Stormy O'Mardian. And I thought, we had Michael and Stormy O'Mardian in our Tuesday night service, shredding our piano. We had no idea who these people are. They weren't anybody yet. But that was they were on their journey. Now listen, I get thrilled. I'm, I'm shaking actually right now. And it's not the caffeine. Uh, I think back over the years of people who have sailed their ships into a little service at Christian Center and then sailed out. I can't take credit for everything, right? I'm not doing that. I'm just saying we're in the right spot at the right time. And God allows people to find bearing and direction. I've never talked to them since then. I mean, they're out of my reach by now. But Stormy O'Martian is one of the ladies that's going to be on E-Women and uh, presenting that day. So I'm going to be excited again. I, you know, I can't keep up with Stormy. Any of you, you know, she's got a whole exercise music thing that they did. Anybody do that? Ladies, you're all out of shape. Is that what you're telling me? <coughs> okay. Anyway, there is, <laughs> I'll stop there. There's a clipboard in the hallway to sign up if you want to be a part of that and let us know you're coming. And uh, I don't know that it'll happen, but I even suggest that we, we ought to frou-frou out the sanctuary somehow, you know, so all you girls will feel at home. I don't know what that would look like, but... Maybe I can get some help.
Uh, anybody that's not doing anything on September the 4th, Friday morning at 9 a.m., you may report for duty to help me unload the Hastings U-Haul. Nobody's applauding, nobody's clapping, nobody's, nobody's excited. <laughs> You're happy they're coming, you just don't want to unload their truck, is that it? Anyway, they're going to need some help. Keep that in mind if you've got a couple hours on the Friday morning, September 4th, so we can get them unloaded. That'll be great. And uh, what else? I want to say thank you. I think I put this in the letter, too, that I sent out recently, uh, a little short, brief one-pager that said, thanks for your continued faithfulness in tithes and offerings. Um, we, we're in a recession, right? Has anybody told us that? <laughs> My gosh. And, uh, and things are difficult. I'm not going to poo-poo that at all. I mean, it is hard. And work is slim and things are tough. But this church continues to be a giving congregation. And I didn't tally it up, but I know that even for these guests that have come through and ministered to us recently, uh, I don't know how you do it, but you have blessed them enormously. Chris Clark, uh, his offering here was $1,100. I mean, that just means your heart was linked to his ministry and you wanted to bless him and send him on. You know, Ted Rose last week was about $700. And we cover his travel expenses and honorarium. And, and we continue to, to be an open-handed group. And I want to commend you for that. You can't receive anything if your hands are closed. So you, you use them open. You give, and it comes back. That's Luke 6.38. You know, op- press down, shaken together, running out all over. God gives back to those who give out, right? There's an abundance that comes from that. And I'm not pitching for an offering. We just don't do that much here. I'm, I'm commending you. And I hope you'll tell your friends that are part of the congregation, those in your cell group, say thank you. We're we're doing just fine. Uh, we're doing what we should be doing, and we are we've got a future ahead of us, and God is taking care of us because we're praying that He will take care of you. You know, if you're not blessed and you don't tithe, then the church is just respondent of that. We're the we're the second level down as a congregation, so we're praying for you to be blessed. How many even need to be blessed? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Over here, over here. <laughs> yeah. Well, now I, I want to. I want a real strong hand on this. Not everybody, just somebody that's really the leader on this. Uh, I'm going to make you pray. So think twice about it. I mean, really believe that we could agree in prayer this morning that God would bless our congregation with extra work. Some hesitant hand. Victor, you are the strongest hand in the group, brother. So stand and pray for us that way, would you? Pray that God will just loose and open heaven and, and, and bless our people with work. And we're not just, you know, let's quick get close to Victor. You know, hope his prayer lands on me. No, let's all agree with him, not for ourselves, but for others. Okay, go ahead, bro. Thank you, Lord. Yes, Father. You will supply all our needs according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Grant your word Father, to be true. Father, said to your word, Father, that we have not because we ask not. Yes. We pray, Father, that you would, you would endow your... Let your glory fall. You will endow this congregation, Father, with the power, the authority, Father, the confidence to approach you, Father, uh, in faith believing, Father, that you will supply all of their need, Father. Not their greed, but their needs, Father. You, can, you said, Father, that 
if, if we are come to you, Father, you will not withhold those things, Father, that we have need of. For you said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things that we have need of will be provided for us, Father, in Christ Jesus, Father. We know that, Father, and I know that personally, Father. When you called me, Father, through Anthony's word, Father, he said, how do you not know that maybe you are the next missionary going to Mexico? And I heard, your, I heard you clearly say to me, that I needed to do this, and since I've done that, Father, you've given me an abundance, Father, that I can't, I can't even phantom, Father. Lord, I, I live an abundant life, Father, because I've been obedient to your word, Father. Not necessarily willingly, Father, sometimes grudgingly, Father, but we know that you are a rewarder of those who diligently seek you, Father. Your word says you don't look, you're not looking for casual inquirers, Father. You're looking for people of faith, Father, that will walk uprightly before you, Father, that will seek your face Daily, Father, we sang that prayer that we want to see your face, Father. We don't want to reach for your hand. We want to see your face. We want to know you intimately, Father. And in that intimacy, Father, you will give us the creative ability, Father, to create wealth, Father. We know that that is true, Father. And we're not preaching a, a gospel of, uh, of uh, a prosperity, Father. But we know that there is prosperity, Father, in your word, Father. That every need will be, will be met, Father. You've called Israel to be the head and not the tail, Father. And we are direct descendants, Father. We are grafted into the kingdom of God by your word, Father, because we received your son, Jesus, as our Savior first. And then we make him our Lord, Father. Help us to be willing and obedient, Father, like you say in the book of Isaiah, Father. We'll come and reason with you together, Father. Though our sins are like scarlet, you make them white as wool, Father. They'd be like crimson, you make us white as snow, Father. And if we are willing and obedient, the word of God says that we will eat the good of the land, Father. And you have that on our behalf, Father. And we receive it in Jesus' name, Father. We pray, Father, that you create jobs and you will bless these people, Father. Where they're employed, Father. And Lord, if they're unemployed, Father, you will give them the confidence to, and the assurance, Father, that if they will put out the applications, Father, you will show favor on their behalf, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Bless your name. Thank you for love. Thank you. We thank you for your answers. Deuteronomy eight eighteen. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may establish His covenant which He swore to your fathers, as it is this day. This power means vigor, strength, force, capacity, wealth, means, or substance. God will give you the strength. God will give you the insight. You know, I was playing with my hose out in the yard the other day, and I was trying to get this stuff off my patio, and I was going like this, and, and I had a great idea for a new water slide. A new ride at a water park. I thought, this is how they could set this thing up. And, and I thought, why do I? I don't need to know that. I don't need to know. Somebody else needs to know that. I'm not going to build a water ride. But the ideas can come. Now, if you want to build a water right, come see me. I'll show you how to do it. <laughs> when you make your million, you can just send me a check. But, you know, ideas come from heaven. Insight, wisdom, ability, authority, capability, strength, vigor. You know, you, get, you don't sit at home and say, oh, God bless me. Let the heavens open and just rain down here on my couch while I'm watching my big screen. Uh-huh. Waiting for the wealth to come in. I call it in, in Jesus' name. Yeah, well, you better get strong enough to go pick it up. 
you know, at least get with it. Amen. Okay. But I, I just did want to say thank you this morning because we, we are, a church is dependent on its people being blessed and its people being a blessing in return. Bringing the tithe and offering into the storehouse, Malachi 3.10, so that there can be meat in the Father's house. And then he opens the windows of heaven for a blessing you don't have room to receive. I like that part. Amen. I like that. Don't have room enough to receive because that is an evidence of wealth. Wealth means you have more than you need so you can give the rest away. Okay, it's a different message. Turn with me to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. I have about, well, I'll just use this title for the message. It's called Overfilled Emptiness. Overfilled Emptiness. Luke chapter, or excuse me, Mark chapter 14, <clears throat> verse 32. And they, then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Let's make sure we see the picture. He's got all the disciples with him. Tells them to sit down. I'm distressed. Sit down. Wait here. I'm going to go and pray. Then he reaches in and he grabs his inner circle that we tend to call him the inner circle. Peter, James, and John, three of the twelve. He says, you guys come with me. And he goes a little further. And he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Verse 34, then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. He went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, say it with me, Abba, Father. All things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. And then he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, now he's back with the three. You know, I see this, this is how I see it. You know, here's, we're 12 here. You three come. The other nine are waiting. They go a little further. Guys, this thing is on me to the point of death. Watch and pray. And then he goes a little further. Falls on the ground. Not supposed to stand over there. Falls on the ground. And begins to talk to his father. When he gets done talking to his father, he comes back to the three. And they're sleeping. Well, in a practical kind of way, one of the things I see in this passage is it's hard to hold a prayer meeting after you have a good supper. Because that's where they were just a little ahead of this. You know, that's in a conference, you don't want to be the speaker that has the one o'clock session or the two o'clock session because you come out and there's a whole bunch of people who are filled to the brim with lunch. And as you start to talk, it just puts them to sleep. <laughs> so it has to be an active session. Anyway, came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. 
And this really is the key phrase today for me. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again. For their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. Then he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? This word rest means to just really chill out, cancel all your agendas, don't have anything that occupies you, do nothing. Rest. It's not the same kind of rest as if you were on a march and they said, Okay, ten minute rest. I mean, that's a forced rest, and you better you know, get, get ready for the next section of the march. This rest means you just canceled everything, and you're chilling out. You know, if you're on Facebook, it's called chillaxing. Come on, I'm hip. I'm with it. Hip? It's like 40 years old. It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately it goes into the passage of his being turned over by Judas, one of the twelve. So, gee, if we went back to the first group, evidently there was only eleven there. Hmm? Took three. Judas was out making business to deny his Savior, to betray him and turn him over to, as Jesus said, the sinners. That's not our point today. Our point today is that this, these two phrases are most important to me. We're, we're focusing in on prayer. And as I, what I wanted to do was to review the prayers of Jesus today. We'd have this, the prayer of Gethsemane. We could have gone to the high priestly prayer of John 17 and when he prayed for us there. But I got stuck. And I thought, let me stay here then and be stuck. And let's be stuck together on this, this point. Jesus saying, Abba, Father, as we have it in our English translation. And then the other phrase, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. When it comes to prayer... Listen, I'm not the authority. I'm a pastor. I'm a preacher. I'm a messenger. But I would not stand in front of you and say, at this point, follow me as I follow Christ in the area of prayer. Now you would think that probably would be, oh, he's probably praying way more than me. He's probably doing it better than me. I mean, the guy's a pastor. The guy's a... Listen, I, I struggle with the area of prayer. I like to pray. I like to be with the Father. But it's still a challenge. The spirit is willing. The flesh, this word flesh is the word sarx in the Greek. We have two different words for flesh in the Greek. One is soma, which means your body. Okay, that's the thing you're living in right now. The other word is sarx. Soma, sarx. Sarx is the inner carnal nature that's driven by the fallen man. It's the one that has the appetite. Or things like lust and sin and, and me first and pride and all of that. It's the sarks, the carnal fallen nature. And Jesus is saying, the spirit is very willing, but the sarks is weak. It doesn't hold up. And here he's talking to them. They're the living illustration of his sermon. Your flesh, your carnal nature hasn't, 
It can't drive you. It's not holding you up. It's weak in this area of intimacy with the Father. Abba, Father. Building relationship is a stage-filled process. In fact, I'm going to read something to you here. Interpersonal relationships are dynamic systems. They change continuously during their existence. They're like living organisms. Relationships have a beginning, a lifespan, and an end. They tend to grow and improve gradually as people get to know each other and become closer emotionally. Or they gradually deteriorate as people drift apart and form new relationships with other people. The natural development of relationship follows five stages. The first one's called acquaintance. You just meet somebody, right? Hi, how are you? I'm Jeff. What's your name? I like to introduce myself to people tell them my name's Jeff because within a couple minutes they're going to ask me what my name is again. Because for some reason, Jeff is a hard name to remember. When they ask me the second time, I tell them my name is Fred. <laughs> they don't forget Fred. It's a surprising thing. I've learned it over my life. It just comes with the name. I think I even did that with you. I'm not sure. <laughs> Becoming acquainted depends on previous relationships, physical proximity, first impressions. Uh, Lots of factors flow into this. But if two people begin to like each other for whatever the reason might be, then they develop continued reactions and interactions. They find other opportunities to see each other again. And that may lead to the second stage of the relationship building, which is called build-up. You know, Jesus, when he came to us, pretty much just said, come follow me. Right? Come, they were acquainted with Jesus. Come follow me. You know, you can have an acquaintance for your whole life. You know, acquaintance can continue indefinitely. It never has to go deeper. And this is one of the things that hinders us. You know, it's going to be that way, but we can't change that necessarily. But if we only live at the acquaintance level all the time, you're going to have a hard time in prayer. I'm going to tie these things together. It's called intimacy deficiency or intimacy disorder. I'm not trying to be a psychologist this morning. I just want to share with you that this life we're living generally is starting to be summed up by me as my own phrase. We're living in overfilled emptiness. Our stimulus is never ending. Uh, Some of us who are playing out there on Facebook and Twitter and MySpace and... uh, You know, all of that, texting and this new electronic communication. I'm not against it. I'm using it all the time. But, you know, when you look up at your little, how many of you come up? Anybody doing it? Facebook. Show me your Facebooks here. You got a few Facebooks. How about MySpace? Okay. Who's Twittering, tweeting out there? A couple of tweets. No, that's the wrong crowd. I'm talking to the wrong group. I should be a youth pastor. (laughs) You old fogies. I'm just kidding. There's a little box up there. I thought about putting mine on the screen. I thought, hmm, better not. Just in case, you know. Not because of what I would put there, but some of the other stuff. There's a little box that says, you have this many friends? 
And the goal seems to be to have a thousand. And bragging rights, I got a thousand friends on Facebook. If you're Twittering, you know you have followers. How many people got following? The goal is to get a thousand followers. There are competitions going on in this electronic world by news media people to see who can get the most followers. Am I in a strange world for you this morning? Yeah. Okay. Don't don't go get involved in it. Twitter.com. You can check it out. I'm not selling for them. <clears throat> in fact, I'd be. I have a couple of beefs with them this week. But all those people are not even coming close. Most of them are not coming close to even being acquaintances. They're just electronic words. In fact, I don't even trust the pictures people put up about themselves. This is me. Oh, yeah, right. (laughs) I don't think so. I'm going to go... Hack some picture off the internet and put it up there. That's me, you know. No, I don't think so. But we're we're stimulating ourselves with relationships that we can't handle. There's a there's a number. It's called Dunbar's number. Anybody ever heard of it? Dunbar's number, kind of out there somewhere. It's a theoretic cognitive number that talks about the limit. Uh, in the number of people whom one person can maintain in social relationship. Dunbar's number. It's how many people can I know, and actually, this is the point of definition, Dunbar's, is that I know these people, and I know their relationship to each other. Now, nobody wants to pin a number to it, but the general acceptance is 150. That no, and the reason it's developed this number, Dunbar developed this number, is it has to do with your, your uh, what's it called, the neocortex of your brain. In other words, there's a layer in your brain, outside your brain, that handles how many relationships you can maintain. And depending on how thick you are <laughs> in the head, that's how many relationships you can get into that gray matter right there at the level. And so that's the theory behind it. And they're saying that in Dunbar's number says that none of us can maintain more than 150 relationships where we actually know everybody. Can I apply it in our little world? The average church in America is about 94. That means every church that has a pastor like me can only get to a certain level where the pastor can actually still know everybody and interact with everybody and know what know who they are and how they connect to everybody else. And churches still haven't kind of figured this out, that there's a way to, to build, not just to be bigger, but to reach more people. The way you reach more people is you have more people in relationship and living in community together where it's not singularly dependent upon one pastor, one leader. But still, the average church in America is about 94. Some would say it's 74. Okay, so I'm giving you a lesson this morning. This is not much preaching yet. It's a lesson. Don't live in overfilled emptiness. Don't have so much stimulus that you don't know anybody. Now, I haven't said this publicly, and I don't mean to embarrass either one of these individuals, but this week I was at home alone. It wasn't a movie either. (laughs) Peggy was off out of town for a few days, and and my good friend Pastor Floyd was in Darlene, out of town. and, And I was a lost man. 
I mean to tell you, and I'm confessing it openly. I did get the golf with Josh. That was a good fix. But probably right now in my life, these are my two closest friends. I mean, I got a lot of friends. You're my friend. But these guys, I need to, you know, I have to spend time. I'm addicted to them. And that's part of relationship. You come to a point where you're addicted to the relationship and you will defend the relationship. You'll fight for it. Oh, I'm loving this. I'm seeing husbands hugging wives and <laughs> girlfriends and boyfriends looking at you. It's, I'm talking to you. It's how it works. And, and I realized this week, and maybe I'm preaching out of my own starvation this week to a degree, but I had this on my computer three weeks ago. So, But I got to learn part of the lesson myself this week that you have to spend time with people in order to really have a relationship. You can't just flirt with them all the time in text and Facebook. And it is an okay way to stay connected. And you do feel a little more like you're involved in people's lives all over the world. That You know, I've got a guy named Christian Jong that actually takes blogs that I write for Joel Comiskey Group, translates them into Korean, and puts them on his website in Korea. I've got all kinds of Korean friends. I never met them. And they can't write to me because I don't understand them. And what I say to them has to be translated into Korean, and I don't understand that myself. It just this doesn't work. We're not friends. We're acquaintances. Our build-up, the second phase of building a relationship, probably is not going to occur. We're going to stay acquaintances forever until we get to heaven. But when you get into the build-up stage, the second stage of relationship, it requires trust and care. Now I'm going to trust the other person. I'm going to care about the other person there's all kinds of little filters that you have to apply, you know, why we're together and what's our common background, do we have a similar goal. All these things will inter- influence our reason for being in relationship. Well, I see Jesus saying to me that I have to take up my cross daily and follow him. First he just says, follow me. Well, that could, I could stand back here. He could be 20 feet ahead and I could follow him. He'd be an acquaintance to me. But at one point now he says, now take up your cross, come Follow me and share life together with me. Let's build some common goals. Let's establish an ongoing relationship. Let's let's build it up a little bit. Let's walk in daily fellowship. This is where I think the flesh begins to break down and the carnal nature, the sarks, is weak. Because the spirit is very excited about knowing Jesus. This new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man be in Christ, he's a brand new creature. Old things are passed away, all things become new, and all things are of God. So now I have this spiritual life in me that's hungering to know Jesus and hungering to know God. Hungering to be able to say, Abba. Say that with me again. Abba. And I'm going to give you a definition for that in a few minutes. And I hope it becomes significant to you. The third phase of relationship building is continuation, and that simply means that you have a mutual commitment to a long-term friendship. could be a romantic relationship, could be marriage, could be uh, any of those things, but it's, you've, you've decided that it's going to continue now. It's beyond acquaintance. You've built it up to the point where you say, now I trust, I care, and I want it to continue. At that point, mutual trust is an absolute necessity for sustaining the relationship. You have to trust the other person. 
know, we talk about communication levels, and I draw a triangle and say there's five different levels. The bottom one is five, and the top is one. And the bottom base of the triangle is wide. It's the widest point of this triangle, and this is the area where you talk to anybody. You talk to everybody. You talk to the checker. You talk to the gas station people. You talk. To, you could talk to him. Hi, how are you? Nice day. Weather's good. Yeah, where you travel. But you're not saying much. This is a general conversation. Everybody can live in that box. But as you progress up the triangle of communication, level four is what we call sharing the facts. It's you know the bottom one's kind of trite stuff. Weather. Yeah, fine. You know. You get five bucks back if I don't say have a nice day. You know, on the little name badge at the checkout or whatever. It's, everybody can do that level. The second was sharing the facts. That's like watching TV or listening to something on the radio or a broadcast. They tell you things, but you don't get to talk back. They're sharing the facts. Most marriages never make it past that level. The guy comes home. How are you? Fine. Have a nice day. Yeah. How's the kids? Good. Did they go to school? Anybody sick? How's the washing machine doing? You know. What's for dinner? Okay, fine, thanks. Then they go to bed. It's level four, sharing the facts back and forth. Level three, you move up the next. You're narrowing how many people are in the box here. In this box, you're willing to share your judgments and your opinions. Your emotions are involved. This is the box that we we talk about when you go to Thanksgiving. You say, never talk about what? Politics and religion, right. Because Why? Because you have to form an opinion. And if you form an opinion, then everybody in the conversation has the ability to disagree with you. That's level three. You're at risk. This is why lots of marriages don't get past level four, because they don't want to live at risk. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I'm actually trying to get us to equate these things to a conversation with the Father. And why sometimes we're weak in our prayer life is because we're not willing to be vulnerable. We're not willing to be transparent and exposed in front of the one who already knows everything about us. And it's a silly thing, but it's the carnal nature that holds us back. And the carnal nature, our old man, Listen, we could go psychology for the rest of the day here. Lots of us have been way deeply injured in our family relationships that has smashed the little person inside of us that was a young one and was injured early on perhaps because the people who you called father and mother attacked you or hurt you, wounded you. And you're still carrying that wound around in your carnal nature and you've never been healed of it. And because you can't get healed of it, you can, excuse me, you haven't been, but you can be, that healing hasn't taken place, then you're hesitant to approach the Father. Level three, I'm vulnerable a little bit. I have to give my opinion and somebody's going to disagree with it. Oh, man. I, I just had a great picture, but I can't share it with you. Sorry. <laughs> Because I can't, get, I can't get the whole thing. It's there. But, but the idea is if you walk into a room full of people, you know, go to a chamber of commerce mixer or something, get your little plate of tacos, and then stand in the middle of the parking lot and say, oh, I really like George Bush. I wish we had him back. <laughs> or, hey, what do you think about that health plan? 
you know, there's this meat cleaver comes out of the sky, divides the parking lot, and everybody gets on their side. Right? Because there's opinion, and you're now at risk of being attacked. Level three. Level two in the triangle is when you sit with somebody and you open, if you will, you open and you reach in and you grab your heart and you pull it out and you hand it to them. And you say, I trust you with that. And you can know anything about that that you want to know. And I believe you will not reject me. And I believe if anything will happen is that you will help me. But I trust you with that, that you won't smash it, squeeze it, smack it, bat it out of the park. You won't hurt it. That's level two. Now, right now, if you think about it, you're going to count the number of people that are at level two with you on one hand. Right? And you may not need all your fingers. Level two. See, and I'm, I'm saying that for me, this was a level two absence week. And, you know... Peggy was not within reach, and Floyd. I mean, I, Floyd, how long have we been getting together? You, up, four years. Every Tuesday morning, I eat Darlene's groceries. <laughs> you know, I feel like a mooch every week. It's, but our relationship is, is intimate enough that I, when I go grocery shopping, I think of the things I've eaten at their house, and I buy them. A serial killer. <laughs> I'm a serial killer. <laughs> With bananas and all kind of stuff on it. Yeah, that's true. We kill cereal together once a week. And uh, if I don't get my Floyd fix, you know, I'm just a little empty. Now, I'm not saying that so you'll be envious. I want you to have those same things. The last two stages of relationship um, development are deterioration and termination, which I really don't want to talk about. Not because I'm in denial. It's just that I'm talking about relationship with the Father, and that is never going to end. Talk about close relationships that it was beautiful for me and and, uh, having uh, Leonard's brother Rick here last week, Rick and Nancy Turner, and I've said about him so many times that when I met him, it was just a supernatural thing. It was a spiritual thing. I don't know. If we'd had a time to build a relationship, we might not have liked each other. I don't know. But because God connected us years ago, we can be apart for years. And the next time we see each other, it's, it's like no time has gone by. You got a friend like that? And yet geography doesn't allow us to be close and to have be a serial killer with Rick Turner. I can't do that. But I have a relationship that I know is founded in God and has similar common traits, similar goals. Uh, the things that you go through and build up, you know, there's trust. The filtering agents are all there that, that make us want to be together. We like being together. And we can know that we only have two or three hours maybe in a setting. And we'll use every second of it. And then when it's time to go, we're able to go. And we're just looking forward to the next opportunity. I like that because there's a person on the other side of the table. There's somebody else eating the cereal with me, right? There's somebody else that I wake up with. It's harder when we talk about the Father. Why? 
It's that invisible nature of God that makes it a little more difficult. You can sit on the forest on a rock and begin to talk to God. But if you pause, you might not hear him right away. (laughs) Nothing moves. There's no body, right? And it becomes a challenge to learn to have intimacy with God. Am I in left field there? I know you want to immediately say, no, it's not hard, it's not hard. Don't say it's hard, don't say it's hard. Okay, it's not hard. (laughs) But I have found that it takes a little bit of staying there until I begin to hear. And I can't be impatient. I can't just text him. I can't Facebook him. I can't Twitter him. I can't get him into my fast-paced, overfilled, empty life. He's not willing to go there. He'll intervene. I believe God will come and do whatever He has to to get into your life. Yes. But He's not going to be forced into your fast-paced Southern California schedule. Even in the low Big Bear. Right? It happens here. He wants intimacy. Romans chapter 8. I want intimacy with the Father. Do you want that? Would you say that? I want intimacy with the Father. Let's just tell Him that. I want want intimacy with you. What we say when we line up our body, our thinking, our words, our speech, and we say, I want time with you, is we're saying the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is still weak. And that's what we have to overcome is that carnal nature that, boy, oh boy. Was it, was it uh, you and I, Maria? Uh, Maria came in and worked in the office on Friday, and I was doing my stairs, right? Yeah, and she said, how many times do you do that in a day? Because the stairs to the office, that's how I stay so thin. <laughs> I forget what I went downstairs for. <laughs> I get upstairs, I go, huh? I have to go back downstairs to remember. Come on, you can do that. You know, you go back to retrace. What was I doing? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and it's upstairs. Uh-huh. So I go back up the stairs. You heard about those three old guys that were eating breakfast? They just got to go there, right? Three old guys that said, you know what? I think you're just losing your mind. So I'm, not, so I'm tired of this conversation. I'm going to go upstairs and take a shower. We'll go on. A few minutes later, they hear him yelling. Hey, I'm standing out here in the hallway with no clothes on, but I can't remember what I was doing. <laughs> the guy sitting at the table looks at the other guy at the table and says, Would you go help that old fart? <laughs> so, okay, I'll help him. A minute later, here's the other guy. Hey, I'm in the middle of the stairs, but I can't remember. Am I going up or am I coming down? <laughs> and the third guy says, Boy. I hope I never lose it like those guys, knock on wood. Come in. (laughs) Boom. Now you tell me what point that had. Where was that going? Just another... Dorky joke by Pastor Jeff. (laughs) Basically. (laughs) The point is this. When it's time for me to settle down, when it's time for you to settle down, 
and have relationship with an invisible God, I can run the stairs all day long. I can answer the phone. I can think the enemy comes with a fiery dart. Better check Facebook. Better check your email. Better call so-and-so. Better go downstairs and try to remember what you forgot last time. Come on, my tea. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Amen. I put the water on and the thing was going. Maria brought the tea. says, it's been going for a while. I forgot. Does it happen to you? So you get distracted. You get. You, I mean, you just kneel to pray, or maybe you sit, or you go somewhere. You got your place, and everything calls to you. Come over here, do this, go there. Read. You forgot about. Better write down. I, we can just keep going, can't we? Because there are so many things that, in our overfilled life, we still have not figured out how to manage the moment of just sitting down with a friend, and not being too busy. I did, Peggy and I went to North Carolina and did a wedding for a gal named Debbie Shook. She, we were in ministry together years ago. And she was late, for I think, for her own wedding rehearsal. She was late for the rehearsal dinner. She, we were all sitting around at the table. She was not there. I mean, this is her wedding, not mine. And uh, But as we were waiting for her to get there, the conversation came down to this at every table about Debbie. You know, Debbie's always late. But when she's with you, she is so very present in the moment. So nobody would get mad at Debbie for being late. Because they knew when she was with them, nothing in the world existed. Except for that moment and that relationship. I love Debbie for this. Because she knew how to get with a person and stay with them even if she was late for her own reception or for her own rehearsal, or for her own dinner. She would not leave the person she was with because she was so very present in the moment. And as I sat and we sat there <coughs> hearing all the tables, all of her close friends, all of her wedding party, coming to the same conclusion, oh, she'll be here. It's her dinner. We'll just hang out because whoever she's with is getting blessed. See, we haven't learned how to manage that kind of a moment with the Father. To sit down and stay put. Now, husbands and wives, it happens there too. I've, I've told people before, I said, the two people that I love the most get the least amount of my time. Peggy and Jesus. Because I can get so busy going, running and doing. And being. Being present in the moment. Being late for them. And when I sit down to be with them, other things begin to call and pull. And, and, I, and I need to learn again how to be able to be intimate. How to be present. I think this week was good for me to be starved for relationship in the moment. But I'm never letting them leave town again. <laughs> At least not in the same week. And again, I didn't, didn't say that to embarrass them or to put them on the front burner in front of you. Just the, they're very living illustrations of the message. We were singing, as was brought up in Victor's prayer, in the secret place, in the quiet hour. I want to know you more. I want to see you. I want to touch your face. We're talking about intimacy terms. 
And even the psychologists and the marriage counselors will tell you that there's a point in relationship when the hand finally touches the other person's face. If you see a couple and, and out, you don't have to know them, but if he or she is touching the other person's face, you can tell at what level their relationship has gotten to. If it's an acquaintance and they're holding hands or the arm around or the touching of the face or finally lips to lips. These are stages of relationship expressions. And when you're singing and I'm singing, I want to see you. I want to hear your voice. I want to touch your face. We're talking about something we may not even understand yet. We're talking about a level of intimacy with the Father that means I'm sitting on his lap and I don't have to run any stairs and I'm not going anywhere until this moment's over because I'm sitting with Abba. Romans 8, I pointed you there. Verse 15 says, You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit. You received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, say it with me again, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. We have received the spirit of adoption. By whom we cry out, Abba, Father. This is a a large print version of Vine's dictionary of the Greek language. Abba. It's an Aramaic word. In fact, it's, and he says it's found in Mark 14.36. We read that. Romans 8.15. We read that. Galatians 4.6. You could put that down if you want. It says in the, and I, I apologize if I'm saying this improperly, in the Gemara, which is a rabbinical commentary on the Mishnah, the traditional teaching of the Jews, it is stated that slaves were forbidden to address the head of the family by this title, Abba. Slaves were forbidden to address the head of the family by this title. It approximates to a personal name in contrast to father with which it is always joined in the New Testament. We read that Abba, Father. This is probably due to the fact that Abba, having practically become a proper name, Greek-speaking Jews added the Greek word for father, pater, from the language that they use. So they would say Abba, pater. Abba is the word framed by the lips of infants and betokens unreasoning trust. I was in the worship service. I thought, oh, I, I wanted to go next door and get anyone of get. Andrew was right there. I thought about using him, you know, because he, he kindly calls me Papa. There's Papa. And I wanted to get little Jeffrey or, or one of your children and say, who's that? And they'll go, that's Papa. That's Abba. They're little babies. The first thing we want them to say, right, is 
supercalifragilistic. No. No. I'm going to say mama, dada, papa, whatever. They're saying that this is the word that's formed on the lips of an infant that has unreasoning trust in the one that they call Abba. Father expresses an intelligent apprehension of the relationship. I know who that is. It's my father. I'm intelligent enough to know that's dad. Before I know that, I just call him Abba. It's of unreasoning trust. Didn't Jesus say that we had to become like children to get into the kingdom of God? We had to come back to a place where we learned how to say Abba. Unreasoning trust. I'm in relationship with you. And not because I chose it, but because you chose me. And because you gave me the spirit. You filled me with your spirit by which I now can cry out, Abba. Intimacy. And absolute trust that has been built in the relationship. When they put the two together, Vine says, it expresses the love and intelligent confidence of the child. Abba. It takes time. Right? If I if I go in the nursery and grab a kid, it's not mine, what happens? They don't say Abba. Right? They scream or yell or Whatever they do, and they're they're not you know leaving your child for the first time is always tough because they're not ready to be with somebody that isn't mom and dad, and but you're ready for that to happen. But if I go stand at the door back there and just start talking, who comes? The ones that know Papa. They'll come. Jesus, the Good Shepherd. Stands at the gate and starts to talk. He says, my sheep know me, they'll follow my voice. We've got to know the voice of God. We've got to know the heart of God. We're talking about prayer during the month of August, and this to me has just become a revelation to me. I don't know that I'm communicating it well. And I almost said, cell leaders, when I start, you better take notes, because I don't even know how to do notes on this one. I'll try. But take what's meaningful to you and the people that you shepherd in your cell groups and take something back to them this week. I'll put some notes up. They'll be there. You'll have them. But you know your people. And that's how we're going to conquer a community is in relationship. Jesus, the model that he gave us. Look at his life. The model that he gave us is Jesus had his 12. Right? And inside the 12 he had his 3. The 3 were the ones that he took to Gethsemane and to the Mount of Transfiguration. They were with him in his most difficult and most powerful spiritual moments in his life. His most earthly difficult moment, Gethsemane, before allowing himself to go to the cross. And these guys were there, at least close by. They were sleeping. I'm not going to point the finger at them because I'd have probably been asleep too. Because I have a sarks also. I have a carnal nature also that's weak. And I've got to train this old man of mine to sit down and be quiet and eat some cereal with Jesus. Uh huh. And wake up next to Jesus and say, I'm not in a hurry to run the stairs. 
let the teapot blow. I'm going to be with Jesus. I know interruptions come, but we have to begin to discern which ones are God's. You know, we get quiet with him and an interruption comes, he'll let us know that's one I sent. And it's okay, let's go. But the rest of them are probably just fiery darts to get us moving away from the relationship. Husbands and wives, I hope you get something out of this this morning too. Those of you who are building relationship, I hope this has been helpful to you as well. But the bottom line is, and I'll share this, I've, I've said this many, many times. I ask it in premarital counseling, I always ask the question, so what do you think really kills marriage? Or if I tell a couple in premarital counseling, I say, you know what, um, let me give you the stats. Half of marriages end in divorce. Of the half that make it, 30% stay together for some reason that's really, you know, the kids or the whatever. And only about two out of every ten are really happy. What makes you think you're going to be one of the two? Boy, they just can't hardly wait to come back. You know? I'm such a friend. <laughs> oh, and it causes them to think. I mean, they're living in la-la land. We're engaged. We're going to be the two and ten. So, yeah, tell me why. Most times they don't have any reasons yet. They've not been together long enough to have any. <laughs> they're going to build them later, but we need to take the surprises out. And then I tell them the three things, the three largest killers of marriage are communication, problems, sex problems, mm -hmm, and money, finances. And if you'll just stop for a moment with me and go, hmm, aren't finances and sex communication issues? They are. Communication, sex, and finances kill marriage when they go wrong. And two of those come back to the first one. If you can conquer communication in your marriage, you can beat all of the other things that will hurt it. If we can conquer communication by being able to know who Abba is, you'll say, Abba. Abba. Let me crawl up on your lap and just stay here a while. No stairs, no phones, no computers, nothing. And just stay here and let the carnal nature just roast for a while. So you just be weak. We're going to be strong in the spirit. We're going to spend time with Abba. Guys, I think this is probably hardest for us. We're not relationally driven. It's not how we're built. It's not, it's not us. We, we like to do things. We like to do things, even do things together. And for that, that's relationship. And that's one of the things that builds marriages. The husband and wife do things together that they like to do. But you still got to learn to talk. <laughs> you notice that was not a male voice laughing. Yeah. All right. Thank you for that punctuation. That was, that was excellently put. Women, women speak on average 25,000 words a day. Men, only 10,000. I'm sure it's got something to do with the neocortex thing and all that. But, but we go to work and we use up about 9,900 at work.
you know, saying, get that, do this, be here, go there. We get home, we got like a hundred left. How was your day? Fine. What's for dinner? Now I got 94 left. You know, and she's starving. She's still got 15,000 to go. Okay, there's a whole nother message. Amen. Amen. Now we're down to 92. No. Abba, Father, teach us your ways. We're trying to talk about prayer here this month and strengthen our conversation levels with you. Lord, I don't know that I've communicated it well this morning, but I sure can see that I need it more. I need more time with you. I need more meaningful conversation with you. I need my heart to be stirred in your presence. And I need my spiritual ears tuned to know your voice. God, the clamor, the busyness, the schedules, the pace, the overfilled emptiness of our culture is just running 110 miles an hour. And it calls me to go with it all the time and to be sucked into the drafting of it all. I pray that you would help us to break free of overcommitment. Help us to be free from any fear of intimacy. That you would break out of us those things that resist being with you. Lord, I know that there's probably going to be some wrestling on this and that the enemy is going to come to convince us to forget it. Don't make any effort at all. Just let it kind of slide. And Lord, even if you begin to put your finger in conviction upon our hearts of the things that are stealing our time with you, we would even become resistant about that. So we're going to need your grace. I'm just admitting that I can't do it without your help. There's just no way. If I could have done it, I'd have got it done a long time ago. But it's going to have to be your help and your grace. And I pray that for each one of us and others that we will talk to and minister to this week. That you'll help us to communicate that same need of grace to them. Above all, draw us into your presence. Lord, I pray that when we get together for corporate prayer times, whether it's in the cells or just a couple of moms getting together or a couple of dads out on, a, on their events, uh, taking time to pray, Lord, that you'll teach us to pray and help us to experience intimacy together. Give us good friendships. Lord, if we have uh, some kind of an intimacy deficiency or a disorder, heal us in Jesus' name. Do a supernatural work to bring us into your presence. Prepare us for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.